amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Open Era Podcast. My name is Devang Desai, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Simon Bushel. Bush, we're into the humid days of July, and yet you're complaining about a bit of a chill and a bit of rain? How dare you? <laughs> Vancouver's cold at the moment, man. It's uh, very, very chilly. For some bizarre reason, we've taken a turn for the the chilly side of things in mid-July, which seems very, very odd for this time of year. I, I understand that you're experiencing the complete opposite though. I mean, it's been like 40 degrees for, I feel like two weeks now, but that's probably an exaggeration. Dylan will back me up on that, but it's uh, it's been a lot, but I think tennis is around the corner. And I think rather than focus on the various fools on the ATP who are doing God knows what, um, circumventing international law at every turn, we thought we'd focus on someone someone I think that Simon and I would would say is is the future of this sport and someone that has really impressed us since she made inroads at Wimbledon but also what she's doing off the court as well and that's Coco Goff and Bush I think we've talked about her in the past and what she was able to do as a youngster on the court but I think her emergence as a voice in the Black Lives Matter movement both at home in, in Delray and and just within the movement as a whole has been super impressive to us and I think when you look at Coco Goff, it's hard not to be impressed by everything she's done so far. I think you're absolutely right. And I do think it's very poignant that you mentioned some of the clownery that's happening on the ATP side and in vast contrast to some of the voices that we've heard out of these young women who have been taking a, a pretty big central stage on the WTA side of things on very, very poignant topics. Not least Coco Goff, who has had a, herself a couple of weeks where she's been very much in the spotlight. She's been very much highlighted by um, the BBC and ESPN, who have done big features on her over the past couple of weeks. Um, and I think that's the, her tennis side of things, but touching on things that she's done outside of the world of tennis. And I think she's really, really summarized a lot of the movement and the feeling um, behind Black Lives Matter. And she's had some really poignant and interesting things to say. So... I uh, continue to throw lords, uh, lords and, and praise at our younger generation. Um, but I think this episode will probably cover quite a lot of that as well. It certainly will. I think this conversation we're having today is about Coco Goff and what she's done, but also the idea of the weight of expectations 
that I think tennis is singularly um, special in certain regards. I think across the board in sports, we talk about team prodigies and 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 players that are somehow as good as they are, as young as they are, and it seems like they're getting younger every year. But I feel like there's a bit of a difference mm-hmm. between, let's say, soccer, where you have uh, some kids that are 18, 17 who break through and and have some big moments. I think there's a difference between that and a team sport and, and kind of going out on your own and doing it like a Coco Goff has Bush. I think, are you, are you with me on that page though, where you think tennis kind of chews up its youngsters more maybe than other sports? Uh, no, I don't think necessarily that's true. I think that we have a long, long list in different sports of <laughs> young athletes who have come out and have uh, crashed fairly spectacularly at, at early ages. I think if you were to simply do a quick uh, Google search for, you know, child prodigies who never went on to do anything. I think there's quite a, a long list of those. I do think tennis has has a a fair share of them. And I, I think there are pretty big examples of that happening. But I wouldn't say that tennis specifically has more than other sports. I just, I find it interesting. Like we literally know about every bizarre dad or mom combo coach in tennis. Like we have a good idea of who's, mm. who's especially wilding out on a given week, way more so than than other sports. And I think it's a lot lot because in the team sport aspect, like your coach or whoever's part of that organization organization will not put up with that outside of LeVar Ball and unique um, situation, I would say. <laughs> but I think for the most part, tennis is such a an animal of the family and like who's around you. And I think that's also what makes Coco Goff's journey from where she started to where she is now that much more intriguing. And we'll start in the early years and she grows up in Atlanta. And I think like a lot of people in her generation, a lot of tennis players that are playing right now, uh, Serena Williams is the inspiration. She's watching the 2009 Australian Open with her mom and her family. And she's like, you know what? I want to be a tennis player. Uh, she's quoted, I wasn't much of a team person. I love tennis. I was so, so about it in the beginning, but when I was younger, I didn't want to practice at all. I just wanted to play with my friends. When I turned eight, that was when I played Little Mo. And after that, I decided to do it for the rest of my life. Little Mo is a big youth tennis competition in the United States. You heard me correctly, though. She was eight when she won that. You're not supposed to be that young. And that pretty much kicks it off, Bush. It's like, all right, here we go. Here's here's the next prodigy. Definitely, yeah. I think she, she touches on something that we don't often speak about in the world of tennis, which is because it is such an individual sport. And at that age, all you kind of want to do is hang out with your friends. I think you just want to be around people your own age and go and have fun with them. And I think that's why a lot of kids gravitate towards team sports. And I, I, I will go on record as saying I think team sports are incredibly valuable at an early age because they teach you a lot of things that are really necessary throughout your entire life, which is the, the, the beauty of, of uh, teamwork, the, the beauty of picking each other up or knowing that, that you're going to make mistakes and you have people around you that are going to be there for you. So it is difficult to go from a team sport, which is very family orientated, your family being the team in this case, to something where it is just an individual sport. And it's much more difficult, I think, to make that transition as a youngster. And I do wonder in, in some ways... Um, it's not surprising that we have a, a, a decent crop of people who are a little unhinged in the world of sport <laughs> simply because of that reason, right? Because you you get taken out of that environment where you are around your peers and you are around 
your friends who are able to look out for you and understand where your headspace is at and understand teaching you all the good things about how you should interact in society and in team sports. And that kind of gets taken away and it becomes part of you and you become a bit more selfish and a bit more individualistic in a, in a sport like tennis. I'm not saying that she's that at all because I don't think she is. I think she's the opposite of right. that. But it is something to think about when we when we consider how we raise our kids in individual sports and and how sometimes those athletes come out as professionals in their 20s. I think it says something that every time a tennis player seems to be relatively normal slash like well-spoken, we're like not shocked, but we're like, look at this guy. He gets it. Like Andy, Andy Murray, by all accounts, he really does get it. But we're like, holy crap, Andy Murray gets it. Like that is the level of shocked that we usually are when these athletes show us that They've got a, a a positive side to them off the court as well. I think you're definitely right. I I just I think I, I made a trip to the IMG Academy a few years ago um, when I was in Florida doing something else just to take a tour of the ground and like even watching that setup and seeing how these kids are from from like seven a.m. to seven p.m. Like it is a mixture of school and tennis, and that's all it is. And it and it really. Wouldn't blame anyone for maybe being singular minded. And I think if you can emerge out of that with a variety of likes and things you like to do, like Coco Goff had early, I think that's key. And the other side of this is we're talking about Coco Goff emerging as a, a star really young. Her parents, who both had full-time jobs doing other things at this point now, decide we're gonna we're gonna take a break from our careers, maybe a permanent break, and we're gonna go all in on this this uh, tennis thing with her their daughter and her dad becomes the primary coach. Her mom's the primary schooler. Uh, her dad wasn't a, a big tennis player growing up, limited experience. But at 10 years old, Goff goes to the Mortaglou Academy in France, run by, of course, Patrick Mortaglou, Serena Williams' longtime coach. So that's where I think maybe you get the, the sacrifice end push where the family's like, all right, we're going all in. And the second part is, all right, we're going all in and we're going we're gonna to send you an academy that that will make stars for, for the most part. Good genes Corey Goff has. If you look at both uh, the pedigree of both of her parents as well, uh, I believe her father was a college basketball player and her mother ran track and field, both at D1 school level. So not exactly bad if you're looking at the lineage of what your daughter slash son is going to turn into as well. It, it tends to help if you have athletic <laughs> parents by all accounts. Uh, and it also tends to help when, when your mother runs track and field as well. So you can certainly be, we know for certain that she is athletic. It is another one of those things that we often see, right, is a lot of young kids it isn't the same way that you have uh, in in the footballing world where you you grow up or um, playing football in the streets or learning your craft that way. It is a bit more factory orientated, I would say, in the world of tennis. For every like Francis Tiafo that's hitting a ball against a wall and creating his shots in in that fashion, there is, you know, 150 other kids who are at the IMG Academy or they are at any number of these Florida academies, which are churning out players in their droves. It is very different. And I would say it, it is a part of tennis, which I find very odd, which is, I, I said factory, man. I, I kind of actually think it is. It is, it is. Well, that's, uh, I think that's the idea of, that's the idea of these parents when they're sending their kids there, right? Like there's a, there's mm -hmm. an ex, there's an expectation that 
the opportunity cost will pay off. And, and this investment, as sinister as that may sound when you're talking about your children, this investment will pay off. It is though, right? It is. It is sort of, you know, to use the, the buzzword, it is kind of like the neoliberalization of sport in some capacity, isn't it? It is yeah. turning everything into uh, consumption-based sort of mentality here. And it is turning this into... You know, it is the the height of you know making it uh, consumption based, which is which is weird really to think about that we turn a sport like that and the junior levels of it into something that can be bought and sold like this. But I guess that's the reality of the the world that we're living in at the moment. Well, I, I also draw some parallels between these academies and like football clubs buying players when they're super young or like making a move to relocate a family <laughs> like Leo Messi's when he's super young and take everyone to Barcelona. It's like all right, we. Mm-hmm. We assume some of the financial burden because we have a good idea of how how good this this youngster is going to turn out, but it is it is a little uh, it's a little jarring. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. I think I'm I'm less naive than I've ever been about the economics of sport in terms of what we've seen during this pandemic and rushing back to play for reasons that um, I'd, I think just call it call it what it is. It's a it's a money grab. It's fulfilling TV contracts, etc. And in this world we live in, like I think we understand what's happening at these academies. But I think to emerge from it, not unscathed, but emerge from it with a relatively good head on your shoulders is huge. And, and I think that's what we see from Coco Goff because she gets to the Mortaglio Academy and she starts entering these tournaments that like she is at at least two to three years younger than the rest of the competition. And she's making it deep. She gets to a four, uh, semifinals of a prestigious 14-under tournament in France. She gets on the ITF junior circuit at the age of 13, skipping directly to the highest grade A level in grade one tournaments. She then becomes the youngest girl singles finalist at the US Open, where she lost to Amanda Nisimova, <laughs> who we know pretty well as well. So she's there. She's not she's, bad pedigree there, no, right? <laughs> right? And the, all the, a lot of these, Sophia Kennan, Nisimova, who, who tragically lost her father recently, uh, Goff, you, you look at this sacrifice that these families are making and i i feel like the pressure is is singular to tennis in that way bush perhaps then differently than than what we've described as like this this thing that sports does to people i think the idea that like you got to do this because it's on you it's yourself and your parents and so like sophia's kennan moved from dad dad moved from moscow to like make sure that she got the right training like the pressure that i think these kids must feel as well has to be immense well, I think we always we tend to get drowned in the narrative of, you know, this amazing junior player who came through this academy and was a US Open finalist and youngest ever and all this sort of stuff. And we tend to forget that there is how many others? Thousands upon thousands of players who are not that, who also make that sacrifice, who travel large distances, who leave their friends and family and basically do nothing, right? They they get to a point where and this becomes in stark focus when we see how difficult it is for the lower ranked players during the COVID pandemic at the fact that you have players who are ranked 150 in the world. This is the 150th best player in the world. And basically they are being treated as trash, right? They're being treated as garbage by the by the sport that they play at. And I think it's it's this weird scenario where you're literally getting thousands upon thousands of kids in just Florida alone, who are part of these academies, who go on to do nothing, who in the in the sporting world, who are just, you know, that they're forever going to be top five thousand in the world, nothing at all to be ashamed at. But it's not possible to make a living doing that, and it's just a 
a bizarre situation that exists in the sporting world as we as we currently sit here in 2020. 100 percent. 2018 first junior Grand Slam against her friend Katie McNally. Katie McNally also going to be an extremely good player. They, they're quite the doubles team, but mm-hmm. she, Coco beats McNally in the singles final at the French Open. She didn't qualify for any of the slams at, and she tried at the US Open. She tried it, uh, at the French Open in 2019, but everything kind of opens up in 2019 and, and it's only one year ago, but we have the emergence of a 15-year-old. She gets into qualifying at Wimbledon through a wild card, which I did not know you could get a, a wild card for, Bush. I was not aware. Were you? No. Uh, <laughs> I knew that you, I knew that the Orlingan Club gave up wild cards to... Main draw. The qualifying. Like, yeah. No, they do They do give out qualifying um, wild cards as well because there's a couple of cases of people that have been like ridiculous long shots who have somehow managed to make it into the main draw of Wimbledon. There is a history of it. And it is utterly bizarre seeing someone who has ranked like you know, 1,400 in the world making the major of Wimbledon, but it has happened a few times. So she gets into qualifying. She's eh, probably a long shot to make the main draw. I think everyone is not expecting much. We've seen all the previews for this year's edition of Wimbledon. It's about Serena. It's about the the chase of, of Margaret Court's elusive record um, with an asterisk beside it as well because, well, that's another story about Margaret Court, but Coco Gauff keeps winning. She gets <laughs> she gets into the wild card, uh, the qualifying draw, and she makes it all the way into the main draw to set up a date with one of her idols, someone she looked up to. Uh, storybook, really, and we'll talk about the match. It's Venus Williams versus Coco Gauff at Wimbledon 2019, right after the break. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to this episode of the Open Era Podcast. It's everything about Coco Gauff and, and when she bursts onto the scene in 2019 at Wimbledon. We mentioned qualifying. She took out the top seed, Alona Bolsonova, in the qualifying draw, kind of stating her intent. But once she made the draw, everyone is circling. It's a first round matchup. It's Venus Williams uh, against Coco Goff. Goff is the youngest player to reach the main draw at Wimbledon at the age of 15 years and three months. We get a bit of a, an atmosphere check from the commentary team uh, on court one right now. The 
So this is the dream, isn't it? And it's come true very early. Well, it's the dream. She talked about it before the main draw, that it would be fantastic if she got a chance to play Venus or Serena. And this is the wish. And there's dad. There's dad. Corey, mum. Candy, mum looking a lot more nervous than dad, I think. <laughs> I can't imagine watching your child in this big of a moment, everything you've dreamed of, that they've dreamed of. So just to, to highlight the other side of the net, Bush, we remarked to each other, Venus Williams, what's left to be said? Icon, one of the greats of all time. Phenomenal, phenomenal career. We bow down, Queen V. She played awfully <laughs> in this match. She was not good. <laughs> I think the bizarre thing is that we tend to we tend to lord Roger Federer for that 2017 season, right, of the neo backhand and coming back from injury and everything. You look at Venus Williams as 2017, finalist at the Australian Open losing to her sister, finalist at Wimbledon, semi-finalist at the US Open as well. It is impossible, impossible to believe that the player in 2017 is the same player in this first round match at Wimbledon. She is terrible, absolutely <laughs> awful. And with the greatest respect, is I think Corey Goss pretty solid in this match as well. I don't think she does anything spectacular. She just beats someone who isn't very good. But it's remarkable just seeing the second half of the career of Venus Williams. You have this sort of star that sort of wanes a little and gives way to her sister. And then you kind of have this period from 2010 to 2016 where she doesn't really do a whole lot. She makes a couple of semifinals in that period. But 2017 is remarkable. Two final, two slam finals at a, I think she's 36, I want to say 37 around that sort of age. And she does not look like the same player at all in this match. It's a bit odd. If you didn't know the histories or ages, you might think that Venus was playing at one of her early matches ever at Wimbledon. I don't, I wouldn't say nervous, but I think she was probing early to see maybe what Goff could do. I think in this situation, you kind of just want to see if this person will make it uh, playable or hit the ball in the court. Yeah. But often it was Venus who was unable to do that. And I think the other thing that, that was kind of shocking to, to rewatch again and go back, it's on uh, Wimbledon's YouTube page, by the way, they put a bunch of stuff up with no live stuff going on. So that's one positive in these dire times. But I think one thing was Bush, Coco Goff served incredibly well. Like that is maybe the first thing that stood out to me is to the ability to get free points in a situation like this where your nerves are shot, you're playing your idol. Every rally probably feels like an eternity to you, but to get free points or easy points on your serve, what a, what a relief that is for a 15-year-old in this situation. And I do think it's there's a certain amount about it, which we have touched upon in this podcast previously, which is asking the question of why you don't see as many teenage prodigies on the men's side as you do on the women's. And I think some of it is just due to racket technology as well, which is that um, you do have... Most of the most of the women play with similar style rackets and similar sort of weighted rackets in a lot of ways, and it's just easier to generate power. The same thing is, I think racket technology is caught up on caught up uh, in general now, where you can generate that more that more free power, and you can reach a level at an early age, which I think is uh, is testament to why you see some of these younger girls come up and have success so early, so much earlier, so much more early in their career. And I think that's true here as well. I would say just watching both uh, Corey Goff and Venus Williams here, Goff is so technically perfect. Like just, you can tell early age in an academy, serve is, is, is absolutely beautiful to watch. The forehand, that fully Western grip, 
it looks like she was built in a laboratory. And in some ways, that's true, right? Like when you go to these academies, you are taught every single day that there is no ounce of uh, technical ability that we're going to leave out of this. You have to do everything perfectly. And uh, it really is kind of beautiful to watch in a lot of ways, if you kind of like that sort of robotic style of tennis. Uh, The opposite side of the net is couldn't be much more different, could it, in terms of looking at the strokes of how Venus Williams hits the ball. You can tell much more more raw, perhaps, and much more uh, self-taught in a lot of ways, even though she hits a beautiful ball and there's no denying it. But you can see the difference in in terms of how these two um, were taught and raised on the tennis court. It's all even at 2-2 in the first set. There's an opening for Goff at Love 30. Venus does get to the net here, and she's starting to win some points. I thought overall she did not come to the net nearly enough, a place where the advantage is hers. And I think she would be, you would think, more comfortable. But she was a bit reluctant, I thought, in the first set. But once she did, it was successful. In that 2-2 game, however, it's another bad string of errors from Venus. She dumps a relatively straightforward backhand into the net, and she's broken. At this point, Coco Goff's just getting the ball in the court. And and she's letting Venus spray the ball both wide and long. And why wouldn't you keep doing that if you're Coco Golf? A, you're probably like, okay, this won't continue. Eventually, you're probably going to have to up the margin of error and start going for a bit more. But in the early going, I think it's working. And I thought the most fascinating part of many part, many things of this match and the machinations of it is that the broadcast version that I watched for this didn't cut away during breaks or didn't skip forward. So you saw the players sitting in their chair during changeovers and Goff is as stoic as I've seen a player on either either mm-hmm. tour uh, during the changeovers. I thought that was that was memorable for me, Bush, because you don't really see that uh, from vets or players that have been around for a while. But she's so in the zone that it's it, it's remarkable. Yeah, she's got a, a really, really strong stare, doesn't she? If you watch her at the changeover, it looks like she's in a trance. It's that level of sort of just calm and staring forward and trying to clear your thoughts and, and stay in that mental mental zone. It's undoubted, un, it's uh, unquestionable, I'm sure, that she's done a lot of mental work. And I'm sure that at the Mortagalu uh, Academy, they, they certainly teach their youngsters to do this stuff. But it certainly looks apparent when she's sitting down at that changeover. Very, very ice cold, staring forward and focused. It's uh, quite fun to watch, actually, isn't it? Someone who is just that focused uh, and that good at such an early age. In the contrast between her and her parents, her parents who are living and dying on every point, Mm. understandably so, I thought was hilarious as well. It's like their daughter is out there doing something, literally two other people, one other person has done maybe. And she's cool and calm about it, but they're, they're going nuts rightfully so she takes the first set you know it's really a match more defined by venus making a boatload of errors and and coco holding her nerve i think it's a wild swing when you consider what we thought coming into that match at least back then where it was very much an idea of can this kid really handle the moment and she does that and uh more than more than regular she takes it up a notch it's six four she's in the driver's set pretty cool scene at the end of the set she hasn't blinked for a second, has she? Can you believe it? It's two set points here for Goff. What a debut. What an opening set. And it's Goff who takes it by six games to four. 
Coco Goff in the first set, 79% of her first serves in. Two unforced errors, 10 winners. You'll notice that set ended with a Venus error backhand into the net, which mm-hmm. pretty much sums up how that went down. I mean, Bush, you're watching it again. Ho-hum. It's just another set. If, if you attach two different names to this and, and plugged in on either side, on any tour, two random names, you've seen this play out many times before where one player is simply just not making enough shots to stay in stay in points long enough. And yet, I think when you add these two names, it's a lot more significant. I think you're right. If you if you do remove the names from here, this is very, very basic stuff. This is just one player who is better than the other, just putting the ball in play. Very, very comfortable, uh, much more uh, solid off both wings. And you mentioned the 13 unforced errors from Venus in that first set. Probably a good 90% of them come off the forehand wing as well. It's wild. She's all over the place on the forehand side. I don't know what was going on on this day, but she looks a lot better off her backhand wing, at least. At least it's keeping her in points. And I think if that shot wasn't working as well as it was, this would have been much more one-sided than than her 6-4 would lead you to believe. Goff's just really, really solid, honestly, in this first set. And if that's the takeaway you want to make from it as a 15-year-old playing on center court for the first time, you could do a lot worse than being solid in your very first set at a Grand Slam. I think it was court one, but also I also genuinely believed it was center court because everything looks the same now, but I think it was court one. <laughs> Not to take anything away from what Coco Goff is doing out there, but you get the first kind of hit of adversity maybe in, in her and Goff's first service game. She goes from 40 love to deuce. And then right after that deuce, we get to deuce probably one of the more uh, defining moments of the match, I thought, is Goff and Venus slugging out from the baseline. Uh and Goff coming out the better. This is right after she double faults back to back, right after it kind of looks like she's, she's faltering a bit. First real sign of trouble. And yet the next point, it's not a short, lucky, maybe uh, unforced error from Venus that caused it. It's a long rally. It's a rally that you would probably think Venus is, is going to come out ahead of. And yet it's not. It's Goff. And I think we shouldn't have been surprised, but still it was one of those moments where like, okay, hold up. This might happen. Totally. Yeah. And uh Venus Williams, Wimbledon champion, five-time Wimbledon right. champion. Right, <laughs> right. Like it's, it's the great, one of the greats of all time, all time. And she's going fearlessly from the baseline right after basically blowing what should have been an easy hold, do you think, right? And I think it's that mental, it's that mental ability. And also she's got all the shots too, right? Not a bad combo. It's insane. And five-time Wimbledon champion, nine-time finalist. She was in the final two years previous to this. It's un unbelievable really just to see the difference in in what this player is it's kind of sad actually in a lot of ways that this player just is completely not there anymore i mean i think venus williams in terms of health and battling some health setbacks and coming back when seemingly people wrote her off she's done that a couple of times i think she's redefined what it means to be a, a one of the greats i think in terms of longevity and and not just not just sticking around, but liking to stick around, if that is an important distinction, which I think it is when it comes to tennis, because I think there's a the burnout rate is extremely high. The idea that if you don't love this sport, um, I think you're kind of screwed in the long term because of the way it works and the touring and the idea that you're you're basically living out of a suitcase all the time. I feel like Venus Venus is the embodiment of someone who, who loved the game and she was going to play because she likes to play, but this was not her day. On the other side, how many times do you think they mentioned that she was 15 years old, Bush, the commentators? 
100 times? Yeah, and you can you can take your pick out of any like stupid stat that you want of like explaining the age difference. The one that I found the most <laughs> amusing was the fact that Venus had been in four finals before Corey Goff had been born, which I thought was very amusing. <laughs> but my goodness, it's it's almost as though the trip the commentators don't trust their audience to realize <laughs> to just do a little bit of legwork. You know, maybe the fact that the the one of the players over the net looks like she's a looks like she's a, you know, looks like she's six years old. You could probably <laughs> figure out that she is a very young player at this point in time. That, I mean, I didn't need to know that she was 15, 600 times, but I thought the commentary team was not bad, pretty good. I thought Chanda Rubin, who was doing the, um, the, I guess the color commentary was fantastic. And getting her insight, I mean, this is someone who kind of did it herself, right? Like she's, she was talking about playing Steffi mm-hmm. Graf, her idol for the first time when she was 19 and just described that moment as very difficult. She was very difficult. She played really bad. And just her recounting, that's how she felt. And also being like, yeah, that's not normal. What we're watching out in the court right now, like what she's doing, what Coco Goff is doing, it is not normal. It's very out, outside the norm. And we see it continue almost a mirror of the first set. Venus runs into trouble at 2-2 again on her serve. Bad double faults. I think there's three in this game. Looks like it's totally gone. And at 4-3, Coco Goff serving. Down 15-40, then you kind of see the Venus Williams that we all know. Venus Williams, who is a multiple-time Grand Slam champion. Venus Williams, who is a dynamo in the grass court. She looks phenomenal in this game, Bush. She does, yeah. And the the same weapon that had broken down the entire match on the forehand, it does a lot of damage in this particular game. It's such a good weapon. It's one of the most beautiful shots in all of tennis when it's in full flow. Just seeing how she could unleash that forehand from anywhere. It's just a pity it wasn't working so well at this match. I will touch on one thing you said about Chanda Rubin. Interesting, uh, there are a lot of similarities, right? Someone who did go through the same process. And uh, I will take this opportunity to say we need more voices like her in commentary positions. One of the very, very few people uh, from, you know, a woman of color and also someone under the age of 50, which you know, is <laughs> remarkable in the, in the tennis scene. I know it's difficult to believe that they would hire anyone who is, uh, you know, not uh, pushing 70 at this point in time. So I'm glad that she was on this commentary team. And I think she's actually, I think she's actually pretty good all in all. She was great. I, I agree 100%. I'd never need to hear Cliff Drysdale or anyone in that age bracket again on a, bra- on a broadcast. <laughs> when, when tennis returns, if it returns and we make some changes about some stuff, let's make that one of them. I'm done. I'm done with it. We can do better. We can clearly do better. Chanda Ruben, exhibit A. We can do better than these cons. Okay, that's my rant over. So, hey, is it match on again? It's 4-4. Venus suddenly riding some momentum. I think the the play-by-play commentator, who, do you know her name, Bush? I was not able to to put a a, a voice to her name. Oh God, you're uh, you're, you're okay. throwing me under the bus. Here no, 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 it's good. As someone who spent a lot of time around this, I probably should know who it is, and I probably met her. So that's BBC bad of me. Commenta- BBC tennis commentator one is basically like Venus has bought some time now. She's she's able to maybe find herself a bit more, grow into this match, possibly push it to a third set. Of course, right away in the next game, Venus is broken. <laughs> it's. You know, it's par for the course. I think Coco is also hitting some... Coco, a little Bianca in this game, eh, Bush? I feel like she's hitting some looping forehands. She's hitting a ton of lines, but it's all paying off. And I think she had that gear to go into as well, right? We mentioned how solid she is in this match. 
I think she's pretty safe for the first set and a half. And I think when she needs to go for a little more and the level gets raised, I think she has a bit more in her game that she could go to. And I think that's testament to how talented she is. And at this point in time, it's remarkable that a 15-year-old can do that. But she is hitting very safely through the first set and a bit. And it isn't until this moment that you start seeing that, oh, wait, she can actually produce absurd winners when she needs to. It isn't quite the same as Andresco literally going from ball one and just barraging people. <laughs> but it's she has that level within her. And it's uh, I'd love to see it for a full match at some point. We get to the moment. Coco Goff serving for the match. Variety of excellent serves. She's going out wide. She's got a wicked kick serve. Once again, she's 15 years old. <laughs> but Venus is not going away. Williams saves two match points. We get to Deuce. Three match points saved now. Venus has a great chance of her own. And what does Coco Goff do? She unleashes a 108 mile an hour second serve to save the break point, which leads us to match point that would not be returned. It's Coco Goff making history at Wimbledon. A fourth match point. It's a dream debut for the 15-year-old. Amazing moment at the net with Venus. I, I didn't hear what Venus said. We couldn't hear, but I'm assuming you have to imagine it was extremely heartwarming and good advice and a good thing to say because Coco started crying. I started crying watching this today as I was watching this. I got emotional. <laughs> it could be, quote unquote, these times affecting me as well, but I got emotional. I love that moment, Bush. It was, uh, it was really sweet. Really was, yeah. And can you only imagine putting yourself in that position of playing against your idol and someone that you grew up watching, literally watching on television and watching <laughs> uh, play the sport at a level that you really wanted to aspire to and then having the moment in such a massive stage and being able to say that you beat them and really just, it's an, a wonderful achievement and it's uh, incredible to see. Goff would eventually lose to the 2019 champion Simona Halep, but what an incredible run it was when we come back after the break. It's the weight of expectations going forward for Coco Goff and what we could expect to see in the future. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Welcome back to the Open Air Podcast. Coco Goff, as Bush mentioned, off the top, has been in the news recently. Even though there's no tennis going on, I think it's time to to look back, profile some of the youngsters, some of the people that might be quote unquote next, as I think we seem to be obsessed with. But I think the the one in the BBC, <laughs> I thought was um, it took hyperbole to an extreme new level. This is uh this is a quote from BBC presenter and and former French Open champion Sue Barker. She says, "Quote." She, being Goff, has the ability to be the greatest player ever, even better than Serena, and I never thought I'd say that. Serena is without question the best so far. Coco has all the attributes. Physically, mentally, she has the game. She's going to be a superstar. With the press, she is so engaging. She has got absolutely everything. If she can start winning Grand Slams by 18, then who knows how many she could win. We're seeing Serena desperately try to equal court's record of 24. Coco could outdo that, and I never thought that would happen. I mean, first of all, she has zero. What are you talking about, Sue? What is this? What are you talking about? <laughs> all right, Duang. First off, before we get into this, how dare you disrespect Sue Barker? National treasure, Sue Barker. French Open champion, Sue Barker. World number three, 1976 French Open champion. Question of sport presenter, BBC front person. She is... A living treasure in my home country. So I will not hear any disrespect towards Sue Barker. And However, then- <laughs> she's pretty much wrong. <laughs> I think she's almost, every single one of the statements is incorrect. I welcome an impassioned defense of this outrageous claim. That's all I ask for, Bush. Please. No, I'm, hyperbole is one thing, right? But let's let's put things into perspective. I think Bianca Andreescu has a better shot of being the best ever at sitting here at this moment. The fact that she's won a Grand Slam at her age as well is is uh, pretty remarkable. And I think I think the three players that we really will be talking about for the next decade, Corey Goff is certainly one of them, Andrescu is one of them, and of course Naomi Osaka is one of them as well. And I think all three of them have had some really interesting things to say over the past month or so. And I think we're in a really good spot with those three at the head of the game. I do think Coco Goff is going to be a Grand Slam champion. I'd be very, very shocked if she's not a Grand Slam champion at some point in our lifetime. Uh, it's almost impossible to say how good she is going to be. I do think in some ways, a little bit of the comparison that I saw with her is someone like uh, Felix Ali Asim, which is that you can see the potential. Everything looks really, really, really good. Everything you could possibly want in a tennis player is there. And you just kind of waiting to see what is the result of it. And I think they're kind of good comparisons because you could see both of them being world number one and multiple time Grand Slam champions. But there is also the question mark of it takes that little step. And until you see it happening, it's kind of impossible to say for certain what is going to happen, which I know is a ridiculous statement, but it is also true in the world of tennis because we've seen many, many players at early ages being really good who haven't gone on to be multiple multiple time champions. In 2018, Goff uh, experienced depression, uh, citing the pressure the pressure that she needed to do well. And I think there there's a there's a correlation here. Where I I don't think Sue Barker means any ill intent by saying this. If anything, it's praise. Um, I can agree there. But I think this idea that we are we're projecting what someone is supposed to do. And I, I go back to someone mm-hmm. like Le- LeBron, LeBron fulfilling expectations, the lofty possibly insane expectations that were hoist upon him to me is the most remarkable sports story ever i think because of what 
was expected and what was promised almost and what he delivered, I think it's, it's, I, I find it hard to believe we'll see it replicated. And I, when I read stuff like this about Goff, I, I get this, the same kind of idea. Where like, what are we expecting um, this, this teenager to do? Or like, what, what do we want her to do? Because if she's citing feeling the pressure at 18 or feeling the pressure when she was 14, 15, like, damn, I don't think we're doing this right. Like, this isn't how it's supposed to be. But I think as she was discussing it and, and something she did with the, on the racket with Noah Rubin, she's saying the pressure is not just because of my past results, but she's putting pressure on herself because it's not it's not to have fun, mm-hmm. it's to make sure she plays properly. And I, I think that's something that I've heard this before in tennis, right? Like we've done this. We've done this to people. We have. We have done it multiple times. And the amount of people that have actually gone on to fulfill the potential that we've put in them. It's not too long ago. Remember that we were talking about Borna Churich being one of the all-time greats, right? When he was 15 years old and everyone thought that he was going to be an all-time Grand Slam champion in terms of what he was able to do, being sponsored by Nike at like 12 years of age and having all the weight of expectations put on him. Turned out to be a very good player, of course, and someone who uh, really should be very proud of the career that he's had so far. But you just think about the weight of expectations placed on these players who are so, so young. It's almost impossible to imagine what it must be going through their mindset. And I've referenced Bianca a few times in this, but I think there's a certain part of it, which is that she did fly under the radar a little bit and her rise was so sudden from where she was in the world in the 200s going into the top five at the end of last year that almost no one really had time to react to it in a lot of ways, right? She almost just rode the wave to be a Grand Slam champion before anyone really knew what hit them. And I think having such success at early age in terms of the expectation that's being built on Corey Goff, she has had a little more time to think about it in some ways. It isn't as straightforward as just coming in and blasting and winning your very first tournament and just blowing everyone out of the water. This is someone who is very, very young, who has played who has got to second weeks of Grand Slams or has got to the latter stages of tournaments. But now there is that target on her back. And it's it's one of those things that it's almost ridiculous to place that much pressure and emphasis on someone who is so young. Do you think it's because there's a general fear or a prevalent fear of what the sport is going to do when the big three and Serena stop playing or when this era is done? Uh, yeah, so I think you're right in a certain sense. I also just think the fact that she's American, it's got to be one of the biggest factors in all of this, right? And I think if Coco Goff is from, you know, Austria or something, yeah. I don't know that yeah. the same expectations and weight are placed on her. I just, the, everything gets dialed up to a billion when it is involving an American player. You look at the the way that they talked up Andy Roddick, right? Andy Roddick's very, very good player. Of course, Grand Slam champion, world number one, everything that, you could possibly achieve in in the world of tennis. But listening to the way that Roddick was elevated early on in his career, you would have thought this is like Pete Sampras prime levels of player who are coming in. And I think in a lot of ways, yes, having uh, an American player who is young, who is very, very marketable, who uh, speaks very, very well and has everything you could possibly want in terms of marketability, it goes with the territory, unfortunately. And I do think there is uh, an element to that which is unfortunate. Um, 
especially if uh, she feels that weight of expectations and it weighs on her. I think sometimes it is, it kind of does help coming from, you know, a country that kind of doesn't give a damn about it in a lot of ways. You know, <laughs> you know, you know, Bianca is Canadian and, you know, for the most part, we don't tend to care about our tennis players. There's a very small subset of people who do and we politely golf clap when they do well. But you look at the difference between how she's treated and how Conor McDavid is treated or, you know, random uh, 14-year-old Quebec uh, <laughs> hockey player. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, vastly different, right? It's true. I mean, they care when she's winning. They care when they're doing well. True. Uh, yep. I just, I go back to that, that 2020 fourth round match at the Australian Open where Sophia Cannon and Goff were playing and you would have no idea Sophia Cannon was American at all by the way the commentators were talking and how it was... It was like all golf all the time. We're all in. This is the this is how we we um, we get eyeballs on us. And I don't think they're necessarily wrong. I mean, you just beat Naomi Osaka in straight sets. Like it makes sense, but you can definitely tell the machine is is all in. And it's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, we're hell. What do we know? We're way on the outside, and uh, we don't have a day to day look into, into what it's like for Coco Golf, but. Seems pretty hectic for a 16-year-old who's balancing a lot in her life and and speaking up about causes far more important than a sport that we like to watch. So I think we wish her well. I think tennis has a problem that I, I firmly believe is is this less so the idea that like I don't I don't have an issue with the academy system where you can go get an education, you can play and train to be a tennis player. I don't have any issue with that really. I think it's the issue of that these these kids are often looked at as meal tickets or or as more commodities than than humans or individuals and and we think about projecting what they're going to do 10 years, 15 years down the line where it's like, you know what? Let's check out what's going on tomorrow or the next day. Because honestly, I'm I'm a bit sick of projecting what's going to happen 15 years from now when I'm concerned about Thursday or or Tuesday or today, perhaps. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's just, and, and in a lot of ways, it's as simple as that, which is just trying to concentrate on getting through the days you can and trying to be content and uh, and happy as best you can do. And and really, that's in a lot of ways probably a good thing but uh, i think that side of this this is certainly part of it but i think this is also someone who has a very firm eye on things outside of the sport as well and really does we we was we, we talked about it and we have talked about it at length about players in elevated positions or figures in elevated position who do not understand the responsibility of the platform they've been given, who do not understand that <laughs> Alexander their words matter. Alexander <laughs> yeah, well, well, quite. And again, again, I say it again and I said it last week, Zverev is cancelled until he can prove <laughs> Dominic team. Dominic he is cancelled on this podcast. Come on down. This particular... <laughs> And, uh, you know, the Harper's letter is going to come after me about this one because I'm canceling Alexander Zara. <laughs> but I think for the, for the sake of overall uh, transparency, I'm very, very impressed with how Osaka and Goff have, have handled themselves. And I think realistically, be it Djokovic, be it team, be it Zverev, they should be ashamed of themselves. And the fact that a 16-year-old is showing them up in terms of how to handle themselves and accept responsibility and the platform that's been given to them, they should be ashamed. Well, well, damn said, sir. And uh, amen, <laughs> amen. It's something to be excited about in general. Uh, Coco Goff's future, what she can do on the court, what can she do off the court. Uh, tennis is... 
Tennis will be fine. I think my my couple of things that I want to end with for thirty, Simon, is that a I think tennis will be fine. I don't I don't think it's gonna just die when Roger and Serena and these cats stop playing. Like I think they'll keep going, but it's up to the sport it's to adapt or die and or or find a new way. And it goes back to that Matthew Willis article we cited a couple of weeks ago on uh, that he put out that went in depth on what we need to do. It goes into how we treat these youngsters when when we put this this expectation on them or this this burden perhaps on, on what we expect. And I think it's about who is covering the game and 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 who we need more voices from rather than the over excessive overbearing voices that we continuously hear in tennis who tend to skew white, who tend to skew male, and who tend to skew older. So that's that's my that's my parting shots, Bush. If you want to throw yours in, totally, yeah. And I think uh, I think everyone should do uh, themselves a favor and, and seek out the speech that she gave at Delray Beach. Uh, Coco Gelf gave it at Delray Beach. Um, very very poignant, very powerful, of course. Uh, and someone who really understands that uh, in order to make change within society, it takes sustained effort and it takes actual action. Um, outside of the political sphere in a lot of ways, outside of a voting sphere, it takes place in terms of protest. It takes place in terms of organization and making sure that you have people lined you know, up. Sorry, Bush, but it takes it to places where people may not be comfortable with it either. And God knows tennis tournaments no, totally. around the North America probably are not the place you would expect to see BLM uh, protests. But I, God, I hope, I hope, uh, I hope that becomes a thing. Oh, totally right. And let's let's be honest. You would argue that outside of Serena and outside of uh, Sharapova, you would argue that Naomi Osaka and Coco Gauff are probably the two biggest names in the women's sport, and both of them very, very, very outspoken on these issues. Uh, issues which, let's be honest, a place like Indian Wells probably is not too comfortable with. Let's yeah. be honest, a place yeah. like Miami, the tournament. Let's be honest, a place like the U.S. Open in a lot of ways, and the USTA in general probably are not too comfortable with. What are these things are, are being said? And given uh, the sort of demographics that, that sometimes are represented in the sport, you could understand why this might be causing somewhat of a, a few monocles being dropped all over the place. Um, however, uh, Godspeed to them, more power to them. I support them wholeheartedly and I support both of them immensely in terms of the, the work they're doing. Uh, can, I, can I just touch on something? Because I said it a few weeks ago, sort of offhand, and I've been doing some thinking about this. I'm correcting my own record on this. Um, and this is, this is going to sound funny, but it's also this, there is a point behind what I'm saying here. Uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago that I said like the future is in their hands, and I, I do believe that to a certain extent. But I think that also abdicates a level of responsibility from ourselves as well. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We're a generation older than both Naomi Osaka and Coco Golf, as difficult as it is to believe, given how young we are and athletic and fit we both are in terms of uh, how we nobody, handle ourselves. Nobody needs to know I'm currently icing my back because that is how broken I am. But I am. I am right now. Full discretion. I am. I watched a, a Lindsay Ellis video a few weeks ago, who very prominent YouTuber. I'm sure people have many different opinions about what kind of stuff that she produces. But it is interesting looking through the lens of what different music uh appeared through the 90s and mid-2000s. And there's one particular track by John Mayer, which is entitled Waiting on the World to Change, which is the idea that you kind of give up. You kind of just let the world pass you by. Um, and it's like, okay, things will be better one day. We just have to sit it out and everything will be okay. And I think both Goff and Osaka are proving the fact that, no, you actually have to roll your sleeves up. And I think saying what I said in terms of 
we have to, you know, we're giving it over to the next generation. I think that removes a level of responsibility from us personally in the the way that we sit of saying, yeah, of course, we we fully support everything they do, but it shouldn't just be the case that we're leaving it to them at all. It falls probably more so on us. We shouldn't allow just a 16-year-old to have to come out and do these things. It should be on us as well. And we should be taking a lead on that as well. And I think that starts with the platform that we have and certainly like a podcast like this. And I think we've we've gone pretty pretty deep in terms of the things that we, we've said about and the things that we support. And I think that that's if we, we have that platform, we need to do it. And like she said, to come full circle on this, no matter the size of your platform, big or small, you have a responsibility. And that's the best thing that I can say about someone that age, that they cause me to reflect on something so uh, prescient as that and really have a change of heart on things. It's well said. You got to keep going, right? Just keep going. We can't stop. We cannot stop. That is the... Do more things. Mm. Voting is not enough. Mm. That's all I'm going to say. Yep. Do more things. <laughs> Thank you, as always, to producer extraordinaire Dylan Wilson on the ones and twos. You can find us on twitter.com at openerapod. We're on patreon.com forward slash openera. $3 a month helps us out, helps us create the show, helps us get studio time, uh, helps us get some cool stuff content-wise coming down the pipe when tennis returns. So if you can, I know times are tough. If you can, you can spare a few bucks, that'd be... Wonderful, and of course, a rating or review uh, where you find this podcast would also help us out immensely. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.